Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. From Southern California, ladies and gentlemen, one more time. And it's, a, it, it's time to reflect one more time, aside from saying one more time, one more time, on our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. The British government has been forced to retract numerous written and oral statements to Parliament, that's the Democratic legislature there, which said government ministers had assessed that Saudi Arabia was not in breach of international humanitarian law in Yemen. There has Saudi Arabia is leader of a coalition against the Houthis, the rebels in uh, Yemen. There have been um, multiple reports of civilian casualties as a result of coalition airstrikes, the coalition being Saudi Arabia and its friends. The admission by the UK government was issued on the final day of Parliament before the summer recess, so that was convenient. It led to calls by the Liberal Democrats, a party which used to be in power as part of a coalition and now is in deep in the wilderness as a result, for an investigation into Saudi behavior in Yemen and a suspension of British sales of military weaponry to Saudi Arabia. The Foreign Office of the conservative British government said the incorrect statements made by three different foreign secretaries, some as far back as six months ago, not just foreign secretaries, uh, other cabinet ministers, were errors and did not represent an attempt to mislead members of parliament over the Saudi campaign. The government stressed that um, other written answers had made it clear that the British government had made no assessment of whether the Saudis were in breach of humanitarian law. It wasn't immediately clear, said the Guardian, why the Foreign Office chose to issue the clarification in the form of a written answer on the last day of Parliament. The government is facing a court case arguing it should ban arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Of course, that has been a subject of much debate between uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Oh, no, it hasn't. In its written answer published, you know, the Brits will carry the... In a written answer published on Thursday, the Foreign Office said that written answers uh, back in in February had stated, we have assessed that there has not been a breach of international humanitarian law by the coalition. The correction said these answers should have stated... We have not assessed that there has been a breach of international humanitarian law by the coalition. It's just a placement of a word. Why are you, why do you hate freedom? The Foreign Office also corrected a written answer by the then Foreign Secretary, Philip Hammond, who stated way back on January 4th of this year, I regularly review the situation with my own advisors and have discussed it on numerous occasions with my Saudi counterpart. Our judgment is that there is no evidence that international humanitarian law has been breached, but we should continue to review the situation regularly. That correction of that statement said it was important to note that the government had not reached a conclusion as to whether or not the Saudis were guilty 
humanitarian law violations in Yemen. This would simply not be possible in conflicts to which the UK is not a party, as is the case in Yemen. The written answer added it was not for the UK government to assess the Saudi bombing operation. It's not for us to reason why, it's just for us to send them weapons. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, ladies and gentlemen. But listen for much more about this in the debates between Hillary... Oh, hello, welcome to the show. Going way down my 
from the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, where the Marine Lair, not the Marines, just the Marine Lair, has come to save us a little bit from the heat. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I said that. We are proud to present Let Us Try, a ballad of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Let us try to stem the tide To beautify our countryside We offer you our hand Let us try To try is to succeed Well, that's one way of looking at it. One of the listeners to the program tweeted saying they like this song, so here it is again. Anyway, the town of Sandwich, Massachusetts is expected to get back between $325,000 and $350,000 of the $3 million it paid this past winter to shore up Town Neck Beach. The money, like the sand, will quickly be absorbed by larger forces. The refund will come from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It estimated the town would receive about 180,000 cubic yards of sand from the Corps' dredging of the Cape Cod Canal this past winter. By the time the sand was dredged, transported, and blown onto the beach, yes, they blow sand, would you? The town ended up with only about 120,000 yards of it, not 180,000. Town manager George Bud Dunham said the refund is already earmarked for school, snow, for hospital, no, to, to go right back to the Army Corps to pay for the town's portion of an investigation into the area's sand problems. That study, already underway, will be conducted by the Army Corps of Engineers. The right hand will pay the left hand. It could ultimately show the study that the canal jetties, the Cape Cod canal jetties, have contributed to the sand shortage on Town Neck Beach. The Army Corps have, has said there's substantial evidence suggesting the jetties, which help keep the canal's entrance free of sediment, not sentiment, we all got, are to blame for starving the town's beaches of sand. A cursory analysis indicates that the beach to the north of the northernmost canal jetty has grown by about seven feet per year, detaining a lot of sand per year behind the north jetty. Dunham, who is the town manager, George Bud Dunham, said at the time the findings were a victory for Sandwich, or a Sandwich for victory, because historically the Corps had refused to admit the jetties had anything to do with the problems on the beach. They'll change their mind as long as you pay them. Let us try, ladies and gentlemen. Motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. You know... There's been so much criticism of the F-35, that's America's new generation jet fighter, that's had, well, some problems, but no critic has summed up those problems as tersely and uh, accurately, but tersely as Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin is the top weapons supplier to the Pentagon and the manufacturer of the F-35, which just happens to be America's most expensive weapon system. 
the uh, price tag on the F-35 is now $400 billion, but we got that on us. In the company's latest quarterly results filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the world's largest defense contractor addressed the troubled F-35 in one concise, well, not concise, one drawn-out sentence. Quote, and I'm quoting Lockheed Martin now, that builds this thing. Quote, current program challenges include, but are not limited to, supplier and partner performance, software development, level of cost associated with life cycle operations and sustainment and warranties, receiving funding for production contracts on a timely basis, executing future flight tests, findings resulting from testing, and operating the aircraft. Those will be the challenges, ladies and gentlemen. The F-35, according to Business Insider, is one of the most challenged weapons programs in the history of the Department of Defense. They don't have a lot of... Oh, yes, they... Since its inception 15 years ago, the F-35 has experienced setbacks, including faulty ejection seats. Whoa! I thought I was going out software delays, helmet display issues, and an inability to dogfight. I can catfight. Can't you? Can't they catfight? Or does that just happen on the view? And this is uh, the latest from Guantanamo Bay. That's the, the U.S. prison facility on the island of Cuba that the current president vowed to close what on his second day in office it's later than that now the defense attorney for a 9-11 defendant told a military judge this week he can find no other example that mirrors mirrors the courthouse situation at guantanamo which is an abandoned airfield tainted by fuel spills and toxic chemicals somehow transformed into a courtroom. This is weird, Air Force Captain Michael Schwartz, the senior defense attorney for Walid bin Atash, said of his request for the court to fund a toxicology expert to determine if the court is safe to work in. For the, you know, the judge and the lawyers, forget about them. There are no other toxic airfields turned into war court examples. That's not the only strange thing about the Gitmo base, but it highlights the often uncharted legal waters that the military commission proceedings wade into, according to Courthouse News. This is because, you know, we shouldn't be trying them in the courts that we've had for a couple hundred years and know how to. Yes, this is highly unusual in terms of litigating a resource for a toxicologist to determine the safety of the courtroom, but it's just the nature of where we are, said the defense attorney Schwartz. He called the motion odd. You and I agree on that, said the judge, James Pohl. Questions about the safety of the compound have loomed over proceedings since reports alert emerged a year ago that seven caseworkers had developed cancer. You know, it's just cancer. The United States built the multi-million dollar legal compound to carry out military commissions next to an abandoned Navy airstrip on an area once used to dump jet fuel. Because there was nowhere... After the cancer cluster allegations arose, 
the government found unsafe levels of arsenic, mercury, formaldehyde, and other carcinogens in testing samples. Schwartz says it will not identify the precise locations where those samples were collected for security reasons, because it's it's Guantanamo Bay. The government, that's the U.S. government, that's uh, Barack Obama's government, ladies and gentlemen, not Donald Trump's government, has since said the Camp Justice... War court compound is safe. The prosecution says any ruling on the issue is outside the purview of the military commission, which is supposed to try the five suspected 9-11 plotters. A Navy and Marine Corps Public Health Center report from February of this year did not issue an opinion on the compound safety. It said more testing needs to be done. These guys have been waiting for a trial since... uh, Toxic compounds were invented. News of Gitmo, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't even buy, I couldn't copyright it. It's too secret to copyright. But now, the apologies of the week. Some apologies, a couple of apologies from cops in Pennsylvania. The Democratic National Convention opens in Philadelphia. On Monday, Radnor Township, that's near Pittsburgh, their police superintendent has apologized for a statement he made about the Black Lives Matter movement that drew criticism from some. Quote, I made a blanket statement which I should not have made. William Colarulo said at a meeting this week in an article, oh no, this is uh, near Philadelphia, sorry, not Pittsburgh, in an article first published on Philly.com the day after five Dallas police officers were killed at a protest, Colarulo called the movement quote, a violent, hateful organization that condones violence against police, unquote. In the meeting, Colarulo said he was referring to, quote, a small segment of the Black Lives Matter movement that, truth be told, may just have hijacked the name or may not even be associated with Black Lives Matter movement, unquote. He's a former chief inspector in the Philadelphia Police Department. He attended a meeting with religious leaders and community members before issuing his apology. Now to Pittsburgh. Police community relations were discussed this week at a gathering at St. James AME Church in Pittsburgh. The uh, Pennsylvania Interfaith Interfaith Impact Network invited faith leaders, law enforcement, and community members to share their experiences with a response from Pittsburgh Police Chief Cameron McClay. He said, quote, if police and community are going to come together, if we're going to be genuine partners in making each other safe, one of the things we're going to have to recognize is we have a horrible, undesirable, unjust, shared history. As chief of police, I apologize for our police role in our bad shared history. I apologize for what you went through. I apologize for some of the aspects of the war on drugs had on the communities." We serve, unquote, the chief of police of Pittsburgh. A controversy surrounding the upcoming Power Rangers reboot film, Hey, It's About Time, may finally ended. David Yost, who played the original Blue Ranger in the TV series, recently attacked Brian Cranston for making what he perceived to be a homophobic remark during an interview seven years ago. Cranston had referred then to the Blue Ranger in the TV series as, quote, the Fay one. When he was cast as Zordon in the reboot, Yost tweeted, Not cool. I'm not a fan of homophobes. 
Yost, who is openly gay, elaborated in a recent interview with NBC Out. You've heard of it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. He said, when I read that interview, with which, which took place about a year after I, before I came out publicly, it really hurt me. In his mind, he probably thinks he was being funny, but that's the kind of thing that's not funny. And that's the kind of thing I would hear while I was working on set. And when you hear stuff like that enough times, it gets to you. Especially when Cranston says, that's the problem. Now, Cranston told NBC Out, To be honest, I don't remember saying that, but I accept that I may have, as Mr. Yost suggests in an attempt at humor, to hear that my impulsive comment hurt someone's feelings makes me contrite. I accept responsibility for the thoughtless remark and apologize to Mr. Yost and anyone else who might have been offended. Yes, he wants you to see the movie. Bad. Quebec's Association of Evangelical Baptist Churches has apologized to the five alleged victims of one of its ministers for delay in acknowledging their plight. Police arrested Claude Guillaume a year and a half ago. No, sorry, last December. And he was charged with physically assaulting five young boys between 1983 and 2014. A victim is said to have been punched regularly in the face. Well, it was regular. And abdomen as part of discipline practices. One was five years old at the time. All were entrusted to Guillaume by their parents who attended the Evangelical Church of Quebec East. The Association of Baptist Churches, Evangelical Baptist Churches in Quebec, distanced itself from the allegations at the time of Guillaume's arrest. But the association's director told the alleged victims this week he was sorry for taking so long to respond. It gave the impression that we were trying to hide something, especially from the alleged victims. Association Director Louis Bourquet said the apology came at the request of the victims who welcomed it as one step forward on their long path to healing. There was a um, there's a, a festival, Burger Fest in the Baltimore, uh, sorry, in the Buffalo area in New York, hitched and there was a, a car competition hitched to a 1920s Model T Ford was an open coffin on a trailer hitch with a full-size doll inside representing Hillary Clinton. An image of Donald Trump's face attached to the rear car window made it appear as if Trump is looking down on Clinton's smiling but dead body. The coffin also featured beer taps on the side. Organizers of the Burger Fest, this is in Hamburg near Buffalo, have apologized for an, the entry into their classic car show deemed to be in, quote, extremely poor taste. Making matters worse is the fact that car show judges gave the coffin towing car an award for best presentation. The car owner will be banned from bringing the coffin to future car shows if he's allowed to enter the car show at all. Or to have a burger. Speaking of food, Dateline London, Kellogg has been told to stop running two ads in Britain that claim Special K is full of goodness and nutritious. The Advertising Standards Agency banned the commercials for making unsubstantiated claims about the health benefits of the cereal. Kellogg's claimed on its website that, quote, all Special K flakes are made with our unique Nutri-K recipe, making a nutritious and delicious start to your day. A TV commercial said Special K porridge... Ugh, is full of goodness. The agency said it acted after a consumer complaint. According to British advertising rules, companies are not allowed to make general health claims about their products unless they can back them up with specifics. In the TV ad, Kellogg said the cereal contains vitamin B2, which contributes to the maintenance of normal skin. The agency said that link was not clear enough. Kellogg rebutted 
the uh, charges, saying that use of the word nutritious in the ad was not a health claim that would suggest a health benefit. The advertising watchdog said consumers were led to believe that Special K was nutritious because of its content and was therefore good to you, good for you. Kellogg apologized to customers after the ruling this week, admitting the claims were not clear enough. It said the error has been corrected. As the San Diego desk observed, it will be changing the name of the cereal to Ordinary K. Republican Governor of Illinois Bruce Rauner has publicly apologized for writing a 2011 email in which he asserted that half of Chicago public schools teachers are, quote, virtually illiterate, unquote. He now says the comment was inaccurate and intemperate, and he regrets writing it. The apology came moments after half a dozen or so teachers interrupted a bill-signing ceremony in the loop, reading statements that criticized the governor for his comments and for his handling of state government more broadly. The remark I made in the email five years ago was both inaccurate and intemperate, and I apologize. I'm a strong advocate for teachers, he said. Always have been, always will be. The head of the Republican Party in York County, Maine, is apologizing for a controversial email. Republican Committee Chairman Jim Booth, no relation to, sent an email to activists that called Democratic lawmaker Justin Chenette, quote, Little Justine, and talked about how much he's hated. Chenette is openly gay and says being called Little Justine is ridiculous. I felt like it was a personal attack, he said. Really? Chenette said Booth has called to apologize to him. So there you go. Trickle down politics. And Dateline Cleveland, after the tortured 48 hours in which Donald Trump's campaign struggled to come up with a coherent explanation for how portions of the 2008 speech by Michelle Obama had reappeared in remarks delivered by Melania Trump at the Republican National Convention, a Trump staff writer said Wednesday she was responsible and apologized for the confusion. In a statement, Meredith McIver said she was an in-house staff writer who'd worked with Melania on the speech. She took responsibility for included, including passages from the First Lady's speech, though she said she had not revisited the earlier speech herself, only listened as Trump read parts of it over the phone. She said she'd offered her resignation to Donald Trump and his family, but they declined to accept it. I apologize for the confusion and hysteria my mistake has caused, McIver said. Apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Not apologizing, but resigning. Roger Ailes won, for the last 20 years at least, the most powerful man in American television, media, news media, suddenly without a job after ex-Fox News anchor Gretchen Carlson sued him for sexual harassment and other women came forward to support her claims. While the Republican National Convention was going on, a law firm investigating the claims found enough information that supported them, including testimony by other Fox News employees, to spur the Murdoch brothers, James and Lachlan, sons of Rupert, to uh, have, well, kind of, calling their dad to come back from France, the south of France, where he was vacationing with his new wife, Jerry Hall. And Roger Ailes hammered out a resignation settlement agreement with Fox, represented by former Dukakis campaign manager Susan Estrich. I know. 
It's weird. It's wacky. A lot of uh, talent at Fox News, on-air talent, had come to the support of Ailes. Now, there's there are some rumors that they may be leaving, but the question is, where would they go? One network correspondent told CNN there are concerns that some of Ailes' lieutenants were aware of the harassment claims. CNBC has reported the Murdochs are leaning towards cleaning house, removing many close to Ailes, although the pugnacious publicity director of Fox News, Irena Brigante, is staying. Roger Ailes issued a letter publicly, the only statement he made publicly about the whole thing, a letter to Rupert Murdoch resigning and saying, I'm proud of our accomplishments and look forward to continuing to work with you as an advisor in building 21st Century Fox. All the best. The original version of that letter had said he was looking forward to working as a consultant until Fox denied he had that role. Neither James nor Lachlan will be taking over Fox News in the interim period until they find a replacement for Roger Ailes. The guy who's running Fox News is Rupert Murdoch. This week, I'm keeping up with the Murdochs at the office. I think enough stuff's in place, Dad. Uh, I, I, I think you can sit down. Nice. Tay is a mile away from his desk. Well, I, I think he liked to stand at his desk. <laughs> I think he was a big fat sow. Very valuable big fat sow, of course. In the studio. In three, two. I'm Chris Wallace. On Fox News Sunday. Chris. Chris. Uh, yes, sir. Can you sound a little happier about being Chris Wallace? Uh, happier? You look, uh, I don't know, very down, very unfox energy. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I I love that man. That's a hold. We all love him. I, I'm just hoping I can stay here. Oh, we love you. Oh, okay, but... You haven't been giving any of the sheilas around here the toy eye, have you? <laughs> I, I don't think so. All right. Just sign a little thing. You'll be fine. At the lawyers. And my client is willing to make himself available to you for advice on an as-needed basis. That's great. I don't expect to be needing it. Dad, I I think that's just a face saver. Otherwise, we're just paying them $40 million to go away. James, if I've taught you anything, it's... I hope it's that nobody's advice is worth $40 million. If I may, sir, I think that's the price... For what he won't do. Right. Fine. We'll just close down a couple of the foreign bureaus. Mm-hmm. We'd have to open some first. This week, the father in TV's most powerful reality show takes control of cable's number one channel. And the number one son takes control of him. Oh, wait a mean? What? I can do O'Reilly's job. Yeah. Our talking point tonight on the factory. The, fa- the factor. What the hell does that mean? Father. Sons, a wife in France where our cameras couldn't go. It's hotter than July when you're keeping up with the Murdochs. This week, anywhere but Fox. It's 
It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. I'd like to sup with my baby tonight. Refill the cup with my baby tonight. I'd like to sup with my baby tonight. Refill the cup with my baby tonight. But I ain't up to my baby tonight cause it's too darn hot. Too darn hot. It's too darn hot. I'd like to cool with my baby tonight and pitch the woo with my baby tonight. I'd like to cool with my baby tonight and pitch the woo with my baby tonight. But brother, you fight my baby tonight cause it's too darn hot. Report every average man you know Much prefers his lovey-dovey to court When the temperature is low But when the thermometer goes way up And the weather is sizzling hot Mr. Pants for romance is not Cause it's too, too, too darn hot gentlemen it's it's a hot summer day pretty much everywhere you might be well you you're only in one place unless you're you're a quantum person but anyway there's a lot of heat around the united states the united kingdom and a lot of heat in the quicken loans arena in cleveland this past week did i 
Didn't I do that nicely? As the Republican Party clinched the deal with Donald Trump. But there's so much other news this week. And um, for one thing, we have not, we've been a little remiss. We haven't checked pork belly futures on the Chicago exchanges for quite some time. So I think this is, what? I thought we had an enlisted. Hmm. Okay. Can you can you tell him that we? I okay. I got it. I got it. Well, uh, pork bellies have got to wait, ladies and gentlemen. We have a caller on our newsmaker line, and he'd uh, like to be put on the air like yesterday, according to our screener Patsy. So, uh, let's go to the uh, supposedly unlisted newsmaker line right now. Hello, you're on the air. First of all, it's Donald J. Trump. The J is there for a reason, Uh, like with uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt mm. or Ronald uh, whatever Reagan. Okay, okay. I'm gathering this is uh, another call to the show from, uh, well, I guess we now have to call the non-presumptive Republican nominee. Sir, welcome to the broadcast and the podcast. You know, it's a loser podcast. It's a disaster of a broadcast. (laughs) Well, you've been very nice to me, and I'm very loyal unless people attack me, Mm -hmm. in which case, as you've seen this week, I do punch back. It's okay. Ted Cruz showed this week that his wife Heidi is lovely just by comparison to his total disgusting ugliness. But I don't want to talk about that. Well, well, that's the past. You're now pivoting to the general election, we keep being told. Well, if you know anything about ice skating, and my daughter Tiffany was going to be one of the best in the world until she decided not to, but pivoting doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And there was such lying going on during what was the most successful convention in the history of conventions. Well, I I think the annual Consumer Electronics Show up in Vegas, uh, for one, I think... (laughs) Well, I think that's a lot bigger, isn't Correction. it? Correction. That is a trade show, and it's a disgrace. Comic Con down in San Diego? <laughs> They're all walking around in leather costumes. It reminds me of Plato's retreat before the stupid mayor closed it down. Listen, well, <laughs> I want to get back to the lies that were repeated repeatedly by the lying media. Uh-huh, such as? Such as the lies they told. You know, you saw the beautiful speech my wife Melania gave. I saw the speech. It was beautiful, right? Believe me, so many people have told me they never saw such a beautiful speech ever. And what was the media talking about for days? For days. Well, I, I, I guess you're referring to the uh, plagiarism which your campaign denied and then kind of uh, fessed up to on day three. There was no fessing. There was no deny. Huh. We investigated. We talked to people. We persuaded them to talk. We what? found out what happened. Mm-hmm. And we produced a very beautiful statement by the person responsible for the bad language finding its way into Melania's gorgeous Gorgeous speech. I mean, that speech was so beautiful, Roger Ailes tried to kiss it. Believe me. <laughs> I, I love Roger. He's going to uh-huh. bounce back. You just watch. The statement you're referring to was the apology issued on your gold-lettered stationery by a woman named Meredith McIver, yeah. right? Yeah. It was, uh, I think it's fair to say that was the apology of the week. That's very nice of you. And yes, it came out on my stationery. Mm. Many, many printing professionals say it's the best-looking stationery they've ever seen. So wow. it gave the apology a more luxury appearance. Uh-huh. But, you know, even that wasn't enough for the haters in the totally dishonest media Mm. who actually started putting out total, total speculation that just because she didn't do any interviews or appearances that would have helped their ratings, that maybe, you know, and they accuse me of conspiracy theories, that maybe Meredith doesn't exist. Well, I... (laughs) I, I had my doubts, I have to be completely honest with you. Now that's why I call into this show, even though nobody listens, but that's okay. So I told one of my PR people, John Barron, mm-hmm. I said, John, can't we please get Meredith to do just one interview, just make one appearance to put at least one conspiracy theory to rest 
so that at least maybe there's a chance for the others to maybe get a fair hearing. Well, I know, but that's really like last week's news. We're looking forward, as the president likes to say. He's looking forward to handing me the keys to the Oval Office. Believe me. (laughs) Believe me. Uh So, John, look, he's right here. Uh Hello, John. Hello, sir. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. That's enough, John. That's enough, John. You're not getting paid by the words. John convinced Meredith to come in and say hello to you mm-hmm. and maybe explain how she made such a mistake anyone could make, which is why you, you may have noticed I didn't accept her apology yeah. and her offer to resign. I did. Here, no. darling, take the phone. Hello, Mr. Shearer. <laughs> Meredith MacGyver? Yes, sir. Very nice to talk to you. Well, well, nice, I think, for all of us to actually hear your voice. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, it's interesting... My throat's a little sore today, but... Well, we're just happy you could come on the air with us here for just a few... Well, Mr. Trump has been very nice to me, Mm. so nice, in fact, that I can't imagine a better boss. And and even if I could, I wouldn't work for him. Oh, that is amazing. (laughs) I thought so, too. Since I didn't ask about that. But if we may spend a few minutes talking about how Michelle Obama's words got into uh, Melania Trump's speech... Well, as I said in my statement, which Mr. Trump was nice enough to print on his beautiful stationery, mm-hmm. this was just a simple case of she read me some of those words over the phone that she thought were very, very inspiring. I wrote them down. They got into a draft, which I very foolishly failed to review, and uh, yeah, that's the end of it. Well, I think one question that's been raised by the media... Oh, there's so dishonest, as you know, and so unfair to Mr. Trump. Well, still, it was is pointed out that apparently you work for the Trump organization, not the campaign. Uh-huh. Have you worked on, uh, on any other speeches for the campaign? No. As, as you know, if you read my bio, which Mr. Trump also had beautifully printed at no cost to me, mm. I've co-written several of his books ever since that disgusting Tony Schwartz decided to be disloyal to a man who's who'd done so much for him. Uh, Tony Schwartz, the ghostwriter of The Art of the Deal? I don't know if he even had anything to do with that. Mm. Mr. Trump is so devoted to his writing, Mm -hmm. basically. I just take notes on what he says and try to keep his amazing voice in the copy. And by copy, you mean the text? Right. Meredith, I'm assuming I can call you Meredith? Oh, I'd be totally... Totally flat. Oh, well. Your your bio says you're from San Jose, California. Mm-hmm. I love San Jose. It's changed so much. But I, I think I'm I'm detecting just a little bit of a New York City uh, lilt in your speech. Uh, well, I've worked in New York uh, much of my life, and it uh, it it just rubs off on you. Mm. Okay. Well, can you tell us what Mr. Trump said to you when he realized that you'd made a mistake that embarrassed his wife in front of thirty million viewers? <laughs> Well, I, I I don't think it was that much for the first night, mm. but that, that's okay. He just hugged me and said that I had made some mistakes in his books, and he didn't hold that against me either. Mm-hmm. He's so very loyal, you know. We're all like family, especially his wife and kids. Okay. Well, Meredith, thank you for doing this. Maybe you could give the phone back. Okay, to- do you believe her now? Like, we've got to make somebody up to take the rap for something somebody else did or didn't do. I mean, give me a break. Who would do that? Well, I do have to say, sir, it's almost as if she was holding a gold telephone as she spoke to us. Are you kidding? Of course she is. Believe me, she's the best. Aren't you, sweetheart? She's nodding. Donald Trump, Republican. Donald J. Trump. It's important. It's going to be on the money. Thank you for calling in once again. You've been very nice to me. I love the show. I may be the only one. And the show continues. With news of the Olympic movement. 
produced by Jim Ebersole Jr. A.K. Batista, the ex-billionaire whose meteoric rise and calamitous fall has come to symbolize Brazil's shifting fortunes, is among the guests of honor at the Rio 2016 Olympics. Guests of honor, ladies and gentlemen. Batista, this is according to Bloomberg, who gained and lost more than $30 billion with a group of startups that unraveled during the commodities bust donated $4.5 million to Rio's Olympic bid in 2009. That was at a time of economic bonanza when Batista had laid out plans to become the world's richest man. What do you think is Donald Trump? The bulk of the money for the bid was his, said Rio 2016's communications head Mario Andrada. He's a guest of honor at the opening ceremony. Unquote. Well... Honor is a term of art. Brazilian regulators have banned him from managing companies or serving on their boards after a group of them wound up in bankruptcy protection. If that was all it took, Donald... He's also battling allegations of engaging in insider trading on shares in his own companies. Well, you can't be an insider trader on somebody else's companies, can you now? Come on. Let's... His commodities empire began to crumble after his flagship company, an oil driller, failed to meet ambitious production targets. Batista accepted the offer after being personally invited by the head of the Brazilian Olympic Committee, Carlos Nuzman. His lawyer didn't respond to a request for comment. A guest of honor, ladies and gentlemen, because honor comes with a dollar sign at the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one every day. And now news of our friend, the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Addie. The Adam, how are you? Yeah, I'm schwitzing here. You're sh- I didn't know Adam schwitzed. Yeah. Well, why don't you just, you know, what could you do? Have some water? I'd dissolve, I think. I don't know what I'd do. I think my proton might dissolve. Okay. The blueprint for New York State's clean energy goals relies on the technologies of the future. Officials have promised that the state will draw half of its electricity from renewable and clean energy sources by 2030. But as the plan takes shape at the Public Service Commission, New York Times reports, talk of nascent technologies has been overshadowed by something of a throwback, the state's aging nuclear power plants. We're all aging. Speak for yourself. The commission is considering a proposal that makes the state's three upstate nuclear plants important parts of its efforts to wean itself off of fossil fuels by offering nearly $1 billion in subsidies over the next two years to save nuclear plants battered by rising costs and competition from cheap natural gas. The uh, subsidies will be paid for by... Stockholders? Taxpayers. Ratepayers. The subsidy is... What? 
Well, there's a lot of them. The subsidy is likely to grow into the multi-million billion dollar range over the 12-year period proposed by the state, a sum that has caused watchdogs to question whether the state is about to approve a major industry bailout with minimal public scrutiny, even though it's the public utility bills that will grow. Scrutiny is overrated. You think? I know. Deadline Tokyo, Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant operator admitted this week that the underground ice wall built around its reactors to prevent contaminated water from seeping inside is 100% effective? No. Will not be 100% effective. Well, I had a 50-50 chance. You did. Tokyo Electric Power, TEPCO, acknowledged in a statement the ice wall designed to control the amount of water going into the reactor buildings will not prevent its entry fully. That's according to the Latin American Herald Tribune. Who knew? At a meeting between the company and Japan's Nuclear Regulatory Authority, TEPCO admitted it had only managed to reduce the volume of water seeping daily into the reactors from natural aquifers by 30 more tons that implies about 80 to 100 tons would continue to find their way inside every day. They're smart. A company expert acknowledged it's not technically possible to keep out the groundwater 100%. In early June, the construction of the ice wall being built in three phases entered its second phase. Meanwhile, the regulatory authority expressed concern in the meeting over TEPCO and making progress in bringing down the nearly 60,000 tons of water still within the basements of the reactors, warning a fresh tsunami could make the water seep into the ground. I prefer a stale tsunami myself. The cause of a leak in 2012 that led to the permanent shutdown of the San Onofre nuclear generating station near San Diego was steam generators being deliberately run too hot, too hard, and too fast, according to a report released this week by an independent watchdog organization. It's the way I like to run. I'm built that way. Mm-hmm. But Southern California Edison countered the source of the report was misinformed. They run. They ran the plant. The analysis asserts the operators of the plant in northern San Diego County intentionally redlined the system beyond its breaking point until it was overloaded and began to shake itself to pieces. The study was conducted by a former fire protection engineer at Southern California Edison, the co-owner of the power plant. The group said it, the conclusion was based on confidential documents that were released by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission under the Freedom of Information Act. Edison knew they were pushing San Onofre steam generators past the original design limit, but did it anyway for the sake of short-term profits and to correct other design deficiencies, they alleged. Short-term profits are good. Shaking steam tubes caused the tubes to hang, sorry, to bang together violently as a result of dry steam we bang together, or we bang, according to the whistleblower. He said the impact of the abrasion and metal fatigue from the tube collisions ultimately created dangerous leaks. I like safe leaks, me. They are the best leaks. Deadline Tokyo, a Japanese court, has turned down a class action lawsuit seeking damages from nuclear plant makers Toshiba, Hitachi, and GE over the Fukushima meltdown disaster. The plaintiffs 
And a report said about 3,800 claimants in the suit hailing from Japan and 32 other countries, according to Agence France Presse. I like the way you said that. Thank you. Had sought largely symbolic compensation from the nuclear power plant manufacturers. Under Japanese liability law, nuclear plant providers are usually exempt from damage claims in the event of an accident, leaving operators to face legal action. That is to say, the people who bought the plants, not the people who made them. Well, that's only fair. Otherwise, they'd never make them. You think? Construction starts for new nuclear reactors fell to zero globally in the first half of this year as the atomic energy industry struggles against falling costs for renewables and a slowdown in Chinese building. The last time there were no new reactors started over a full year was 1995. That's a bad year. The number of reactors under construction is in decline for a third year. Saying Florida regulators have failed to protect the state's waters, the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy and Tropical Audubon Society have filed a federal lawsuit against Florida Power and Light over alleged violations of the Clean Water Act related to contaminated water discharges from its Turkey Point power plant. Why do you think they call it a turkey? I, the plant includes two nuclear reactors cooled by a canal system that is polluting the Biscayne Aquifer as well as the surface waters of Biscayne Bay, according to the lawsuit. The aquifer supplies drinking water to more than 3 million South Floridians as far north as Boca Raton. That's my favorite Boca. A government spending watchdog in England has launched a devastating critique of the new nuclear power plant to be built by the French company Arriva at Hinkley Point in England, warning that the nuclear project could cost energy consumers $39 billion in top-up payments due to falling wholesale power prices. The uh, total lifetime cost of the Hinkley Point nuclear power plant could be as high as $50 billion, according to an assessment published by the UK government. The figure was described as shockings by critics of the scheme. Well, critics are easily shocked. I, they said it showed just how volatile and uncertain the project had become. The same energy department's estimate 12 months earlier had been a third of the current figure. Inflation's a bitch. The latest prediction comes amid increasing speculation about the future of the controversial project, whose existence has been put in further doubt by financial jitters following Britain's vote to leave the European Union. Hinkley Point has been a flagship energy project for the British government and for the former Chancellor of the Exchequer. Ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer? Ex-all. Ex Ex-it-all out. Clean, cheap, safe to ex-to-meter. It is our friend, ladies and gentlemen, the Atom. One more apology of the week, actually of last week, 
after triggering the suspension of the principal of Eastside High School in Patterson, New Jersey, Zatiti Moody, and causing outrage among officials of the school district. Hip-hop artist, I said artist, Fetty Wap apologized for filming a music video at his former high school. He spoke at a Patterson Board of Education meeting apologizing to the city. The former principal, who's long been a cherished figure at the school, and dozens of his supporters who wore shirts that read, Return Principal Moody back to Eastside High. The video features Fetty walking through the halls of Eastside High as he sings, Let's get Wiz Khalifa high, while admiring a stripper dancing on a pole in a classroom. If I disrespected anybody, I came today to apologize, but I also want to let people know that I'm a product of my environment. Unquote. Fetty Wap. Statement met with a loud round of applause. Dear Fetty, check out the music video for the Spinal Tap song, Bitch School, recorded at my junior high. Filmed at my junior high. We disrespected everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on the equally mighty Soho Radio in London. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available Around the world by the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. And available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, tunein.com, and wwno.org. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson the WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program and a playlist of the music heard here on. They're yours, along with your chance, nay, opportunity, nay, temptation to buy Cars I Talk t-shirts at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>